Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. But hey, we're going to go ahead and dive in today. Um, Before I call up our therapist panel, I do want to talk. You know, I haven't preached in like three weeks. And you know when a preacher doesn't preach? I got to say something, okay? So so it's like, I'm going to talk a little bit really, really quick at you. Then we're going to bring our therapist panel up and we're going to receive your questions because what we're doing today is we're continuing our conversation about mental health. That's why we framed the series, Let's Talk About Mental Health. We're not trying to solve it. We're not trying to say it's the most important thing. We're not trying to to devalue it. But we did want to start a conversation and talk about it in the church because in many churches, it's not talked about. So people suffer in silence. They struggle in silence. There's a stigma around it where if you're struggling mentally, you're not spiritual enough. And so we kind of wanted to get it out there, let it be talked about, and we wanted to dedicate a whole month to it so we could start the conversation and figure out ways to continue the conversation. And really our heart behind it is this, like I want mental health, because honestly, what I see in scripture is that mental health is a vital part of you being a healthy, holistic follower of Jesus. If you study scripture, you see the emphasis on the mind. You see Jesus saying one of the first things he said was repent. That word repent doesn't just mean feel sorry for something. It literally means to rethink, like reframe your life in light of the kingdom of God. So even part of being a follower of Jesus is learning to rethink and reframe everybody and everything around you so you can see it in light of God. But also, too, you hear Paul, whenever he's writing to a church he planted in the city of Rome, he said, do not conform to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying transformation, real transformation happens as you actually think about things differently. Then you've got Peter. Then you've got Paul writing as well, saying, like, like a bunch of times in Scripture, he says this, be sober-minded. Do you know what sober-minded means? Not drunk. And not just drunk on alcohol, but drunk on whatever can infiltrate minds, right? Like, they want you to think clearly so you can pray, so you can discern the will of God, so you can be who all God has called you to be, so we can see this focus in Scripture on the mind. So what I don't want you to get out of us doing this mental health series is we're just trying to be a cool church, trying to just talk about something trendy. We want to get this out there because our heart for you is to be a healthy, holistic follower of Jesus who just doesn't love Jesus with your heart, your soul, and your strength, but also does what Jesus said, loves Jesus with your mind as well, okay? So that is our heart with this series. But also what you see in Scripture is is this thought. God chooses to restore, and that's what I talked about in week one, where we're all on this journey of of restoration, As followers of Jesus, we are in this weird spot where our spirits are fully transformed. We have a new identity in Christ, yet we live in a broken world where we we see and experience the consequences of sin every day. We have broken bodies and broken hearts and broken minds. But we are in this process of what Scripture calls sanctification, but it's also the process of restoration where we are trying to recover who we already are in Christ. Okay? So that happens... 
not just through God's word, not just through the power of the Holy Spirit. These are all the foundation, but it also, this process of restoration happens actually through broken people. Have you read the Bible and seen how many times God used jacked up, messed up people to get something done? When in reality, it would have taken a lot less time if he hadn't have used people. I've got three kids, three boys. I talk about them all the time, the wear hurricane. Uh, 11, 8, and 6 boys, and I can't tell you how much faster it would be to get the house cleaned if I did not involve them. My will could get done so much faster if I did not include them. But my, my goal isn't just to do things for them. My goal was to help them become healthy, holistic adults, and hopefully husbands, so when they have a wife, they'll know it'll wipe the seat off. Put the seat down. Come on, someone. I'm trying to train my boys right. Right? That they know how to load the dishwasher. Like, like, because I could do everything for them, and it would get done quicker, but it wouldn't develop them. Come on, someone. And this is what the Lord, this is why he always in Scripture chooses to use to work through people. Moses, he could have delivered the people if he wanted to all by himself, but God said, Moses, I want to take you a stuttering man and go and speak to Pharaoh. Abraham, I could have millions of people follow, but no, Abraham, I'm going to bless people through you. Jesus could have done it, but Jesus said, I'm going to get 12 knucklehead disciples, raise them up, train them up, and through these 12 disciples, I'm going to change the world. He used people. And that's really today what we're going to see happen is we're going to see God using a panel up here of people who love our church, love Jesus, but have given their lives to helping people win the war in their minds. As therapists, as people wanting to help the world be restored through what they do with their vocation. And so... 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 20, really quick, Paul says this. So we are Christ ambassadors. What's, what, is, what does an ambassador do? It represents. We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Do you know many, it's just like I said, God will use people, broken people, to be his appeal of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness many times through the presence of people. And that's what I love about therapists is if they know Jesus and they're therapists, therapist, they have given their, their lives to just being this, an ambassador for Christ. They say, how can I be the hands and feet and voice and presence of Jesus in, in people's lives? And that's why I'm excited today to bring some of them up and, and basically do a question answer session. So um, if you want to ask a question to our panel about mental health, you're going to be seeing a cell phone number on the screen behind me. Now, listen, we're not going to be able to get to you every question today. In first service, we were not we didn't get to every question, but don't let that keep you from asking it because what we're going to do is we're going to make sure every question gets answered either today or throughout this week. We're going to have one of the therapists on this panel reach out to you, whether through email or text message to try to give you some resources to help answer the question that you submit today. All right, so I'm going to ask our panel if they would go ahead and come on up. Lifehouse fam, give them a, a, great, a great round of applause as they come up. So, in light of us having a panel of counselors here, I wanted to read to us a scripture, Proverbs 15, verse number 22, which says this, without counsel, plans go what? All right. But in the multitude of what? Counselors. 
I'm sorry, I thought that was a lot funnier. <laughs> Multitude of counselors, they are established. That, 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 that didn't work in first service. I should have just not done it in second service either. Figured maybe second service would give me some love, but it's all good. A multitude of counselors we have here, so hopefully we can get some plans today. Um, anyway, though, so look, if you have got a question, text it in. I believe the phone number is, yep, is 757-812-5984. And our heart today is to add to the conversation, okay? Like I said, we're not trying to solve it. You know, not everyone up here is a perfect therapist or knows everything about everything, but... Um, we want to add to the conversation and hopefully today help you become a more holistic, healthy follower of Jesus. So we're going to actually start with a question we had in the first service, which was, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. And well, well, actually, the question was, how do you help someone close to you? So whether that is a friend, a family member, a coworker, a child. How, how do you love somebody close to you who is struggling with mental health? So how do you love them well? So I will present the question maybe one more time, and maybe somebody will step up to answer. answer. I can answer. Okay. Um, and I'll start and get us all started. Um, so the first thing is acknowledging that you won't be able to fix it. Mm. Um, so oftentimes we want to fix, right? We don't like to see our loved ones in pain. We don't like to see them struggling. Um, and so then we try to fix. And the way that we do that can be prescription. Well, you should do blah, blah, blah. Or I heard this person did this. And they're taking St. John's wart. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and the best question that we can actually ask is how can I support you? Mm. Right? How can I be present that for you? That is so good. Um, and oftentimes we forget that our presence is important. And I like to make a joke that my presence is a present, right? But like just me sitting mm. there with you, um, that can be so powerful. Sitting with you, holding your hand while you cry, right? Sitting with you and just letting you get it out, getting it off your chest. Um, and then canceling our judgment. So we'll, we can say, oh, if I was in this situation, this is what I would do, right? But canceling our judgment um, and allowing them to navigate the situation to the best they know how. Um, but that big question is, how can I support you? Hmm. Really, really good. Um, one thing that I had said in first service and just echoing uh, back what Stephanie said is just being willing to listen. Um, a lot of times we want to, again, just be that support, like, that's good. But when we're throwing a lot of things at them, then it can become this distance. And I thought about Job and how when his friends were there as a support, it was good. You know, he was talking to them and telling them, sharing his heart, and it was good. And then when, once his friends started, you know, throwing these things at him, like, you need to do this, or did you sin, or all those questions, it almost made Job regret opening up to his friends. And so being willing just to listen um, and one thing, uh, one of my friends always asks me, and she's actually here, um, she'll always say, you know, what do you need? Um, and I think that is also helpful, just being able to ask a person, what do they need? Because sometimes it's just to listen. It's not always give me, tell me what to do or things like that. So let me ask you, what if they don't even know what they need? Sorry, I just figured I'd ask that. What what if they have no clue what they what they actually need? 
that's how do you help diagnose session, that? But okay. Um, I think sometimes we have to be able to look at that person and just say, I'm going to be here with you through this journey. Because mm. we don't know what the journey is, but mm. obviously they need us for something. Mm. And so like she was saying That's earlier, so not being judgmental, but we're going to walk through this journey together. It's really, really good. I'm sorry. Uh, so when we do prescription, when we say, oh, well, you should do this, we're coming from a top down, right, versus coming down and sitting with and saying, okay, all right, hmm. so this is what you're feeling. Maybe we should look through this together. Let's collaborate together. What can we discover together, right? Instead of taking this, I'm looking down at you. I'm going to actually come beside you. Um, and I think Jesus was a great example of that with the woman caught in adultery, right? Teach he came Stephanie. down, right? He didn't look down at her. Um, and so I think that can be part of it, kind of discovering what can we do together. That's so good. I like that together, that together, that word together means so much. Um, creating that space, whether it's the table talk um, or bedside talk or whatever, but creating that comfortable space where they may not know or we may not know I need at that given time, but just chatting, just talking. And, and through talking, some of that will come out eventually through watching a movie together, through doing something together and just having that space where you're talking so that it can be worse. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what we, we know something's bothering us, but we don't know how to express it. Mm. So we just need to create that space, that non-judgmental space, as they yeah. mentioned, and allow just whatever you're doing together to just, just move. So let me kind of, in conjunction with this question, ask this, how do you handle feeling like a burden to your family and friends when you constantly need support and reassurance? Right. So how do you handle feeling like a burden to your family and friends when you consistently need support and reassurance? So. Oh, I thought he was going to keep talking. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. So. You thought I was stuttering. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being stupid, y'all. I can joke about it. So, so, so um, as I said earlier, mm. um, you you don't get to control whether or not your family thinks you're a burden. They may mm. think you are, and maybe they'll tell you that. What you can control is you, though. Always be willing to ask for help and support when you need it. Start there. Mm. And, and I'm still something one of my panel colleagues said earlier. You have to also look at yourself and say, well, what pattern am I creating that's causing me to always need support? Sometimes you are in mm. control of that, and you may have to change some of the things you're doing. Mm. Okay, sir. <laughs> Teach us. Anyone else want to add? Yep. What Charles said, being okay, it's okay for you to ask, being okay with their answer. You've got to be able to receive it. Um, and so I'm sure we'll talk about boundaries later, but like, if they're setting good boundaries, there are going to be times they do say no. Right, and being okay with that, um, and knowing that that's actually them taking care of themselves in order to support you, right? So being willing to ask the question, but also hear the answer. Hmm. Really, really good. Somebody else want to go? All right, let's talk about boundaries. So you talked about boundaries. All right, boundaries is is kind of a buzzword 
right now, right? Everyone's talking about boundaries. You need boundaries. Get, get toxic people out. Boundaries, right? Um, so speaking of boundaries, um, somebody says, I want to set healthy boundaries. And I think that word there, healthy, is important, right? Um, so they say, I want to set healthy boundaries. And someone just texted, it's okay. So how do boundaries differ from the avoidance of difficult conversations or situations? So how do you know you're setting a boundary that's a healthy boundary and maybe a boundary where you're just running from something? That's good. Right? I think um, the first thing I always say is that boundaries put you in a healthier space. Um, so boundaries are clear. Everybody knows. If this happens, this is what I'll do. Boundaries are mine. They don't control your behavior, right? They control me, right? So if I know if I get in an argument, I need to step back so I can reset and come back and have a healthier, more respectful conversation, then that's a boundary. If I know that I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to cut you off and never address what actually happened, that's avoidance, mm. right? So boundaries that's are so very good. clear. This is good. This is good. Anyone else want to want to kind of address boundaries? We have a, a panel of therapists that aren't saying anything. Everyone get this on. Uh, okay. Address that. Okay. That's because we're supposed to be listeners. Come on, brother. See, teach, teach us. Teach us. Okay, question here. Somebody texted in, what should I do if I've seen multiple different counselors, tried a bunch of different medications, but we but still have the feeling of anxiety, stress, and not having the will to do what, what I love doing? What should I try next? That's actually a good question. Um, so were you saying the other questions weren't good ones? <laughs> That's actually a good question. No, I'm just, I'm just no kidding, brother. I'm because just kidding. as therapists, we have to deal with that. Mm. And, and the therapist should understand their expertise. And mm. when you come in, especially during the assessment phase, we should be able to say, I can't help you. Mm. But nine times out of 10, we're just gonna bring you in and you get frustrated and that experience is not healthy for you. And then you find yourself bouncing from therapist to therapist. So mm. what I say to you is this, call your insurance, they'll give a list of those in your area and then go to psychology today or go to that agency and read their profile. And when you're there for the first session and they're doing the assessment, actually you ask them questions. This, what is your expertise in? How many clients have you had dealing with this issue? That'll slow down you moving, because they may say, hey, I have someone in this practice who's a better fit for you. It's really good. So, I would encourage anyone, because I hear the question is bouncing from therapists and different medications. And so one of the things that I want to just point out is that we're not perfect. We all have a, a degree and education and experiences. Um, and it's heavily built on relationships. Hmm. So if you come in as the, the person that's asking for help, with the mindset of this ain't going to work either. Mm. Nothing I give you That's is so going to work. Mm. So bouncing, does that does that mean that I saw a therapist twice and I didn't get any relief, so I, I left that agency? Because it takes the therapist time to build rapport with you. 
And sometimes it can be done or establish a relationship with you. And sometimes it can, you get those people that come in, they're like, I'm ready. <laughs> so they poured it, they're pouring everything out and you know, okay, this person is determined to make a change. We give you the tips and the tools and the interventions and the techniques and the scriptures and all of that. You take that home and work it. So no therapist is gonna be <laughs> no therapist is gonna be able to go home with you, whisper in your ear, remember what I said. You know? And I would caution you bouncing from therapist to therapist because it is going to give you that feeling of hopelessness, helpless, because you've not given the relationship and the process time to work. First, first appointment is always the intake. We don't be asking you a whole bunch of questions about what you, what's going on in your life. That's not where miracles happen. So. Oh, she wants to say yeah, everybody, perfect. Um, I just wanted to add this, that a lot of therapists, they will do a consultation session, maybe 15 minutes, but it's a net, maybe 15, maybe 30, but most, most will do them. And so what you want to do is have you a list of questions that you, you, you really want them to, to kind of investigate on whether or not that one might be a good fit for you. So even after you search that Psychology Today or whatever, their website, go ahead and make you a few questions, ask for a consultation session, and see if that vibe is there. I would, I, I would love to do it in person, but if they're not doing it in person, ask them if they'll do it Zoom. It's always good to do that. Real quick, um, it takes work. Okay, when you when you come to therapy, you have to actually be willing to do the work. And this is the speech I give a lot of my clients. Okay, it's like if you ever watched a documentary of somebody climbing Mount Everest, right? They get to the top because when the storm comes, they don't go back to the bottom to start over. They mm. hunker down, weather the storm, and keep climbing. Mm. So when you're coming That's through really good. the process, you got to be able to deal with those moments where it's really rugged for you, so you can keep going. That's really good, Charles. We, yeah, sure. Really quick. Um, two, two things, just to touch on the, one, the physical piece of just realizing with medication, like we do have different makeups. And so sometimes, as unfortunate as it is to keep switching or changing, sometimes you have to find which medication is best for you. Um, and so that may, you know, mean trying two or three different ones. And then... The second piece is I sometimes encourage um, students who I work with of thinking through, you know, what they're looking for in a therapist. It's not um, that doesn't always work. Sometimes they don't know what they're looking for, but a therapist is not your friend. Um, and so sometimes a friend might, you know, encourage behaviors or things. Ch uh, Therapists will challenge you, and that might cause discomfort um, in your counseling sessions. But the whole goal is to maybe better you or to help you figure out solutions and things. And so realizing that piece of, you know, what am I looking for in a therapist? If it's a friend, then I got to reevaluate, you know, mm. what I'm looking for. That's really good. And that question was so loaded, so I want to go back to the emotions, right? Anxiety, stress, and not able to fulfill life's purpose. We have to acknowledge that anxiety is actually normal, right? So we need anxiety to motivate us. So what level of anxiety are we actually talking about? 
right? So I often get people, they're like, I don't want to be anxious. And I'm like, actually, you kind of need a little bit of anxiety to go to work. So if you weren't anxious, you wouldn't go and pay your bills, right? So like, we need a little Facts. bit. Right, so what, what actually is the level that we're talking about? Stress is also normal. So we really need to start thinking about coping. How are you coping? That's so good. Actually. And so if the therapist is not providing you coping skills, not helping you walk through how to manage anxiety and stress because they are normal, then that's where the problem really is. That's so good. Wow. Okay. Oh. And just real quick. Yeah. Um, we talked about medication a little bit. Medication is not the magic pill. Everybody thinks that once I get on medication, I'm going to be cured or healed. It's just an additive to the situation. So good. And you also have to understand that um, some medications are more popular than others, and they may be pushing that medication. Um, I can say I'm, you know, it took me 40-something years to say, you know what, I have eight adult ADHD, and I went and took some medication, and I was like, okay, you said it's right, but it ain't working for me. What other medications can I take? And then you find the one that works for you. You just don't take you, you just don't take it. You try it out after 30 days. Hey, this doesn't make me feel good. I don't have an appetite, or I'm eating everything, and I didn't gain 20 pounds. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Just be knowledgeable. I tell all of my clients, you're in control. I'm the expert, and I can give you suggestions, but you need to tell me how it works for you. Mm. Okay. So we have had a couple questions come in ab uh, about grief. Um, it says. Um, one says, I recently lost my dad in May, and it's been very hard to process and live in this new reality. What would you recommend, or some? Uh, what would you recommend for someone who's having a hard time grieving the loss of the loss of a loved one? Um, so there's a lot of um, places that will do grief counseling. It's a, usually in a group setting um, because one of the things that you don't want to be is alone. Hmm even if you want to withdraw or isolate in this situation, mm -hmm. you don't want to be alone, alone with your feelings, alone with your thoughts. Get in fellowship with those who can understand what you're going through. I know, um, and I, I don't work there, so I'm not supporting it. Like Bon Secor, uh, Mary Immaculate has a grief counseling. Um, there's a couple other agencies that will provide you guys, can provide you with grief counseling. Um, because that is a, it's called grief counseling because it's a different type of counseling. It's important that you know that, that if that's what you're really in need of, that that is what you um, look for. So, because gotcha. there's no, there's, there's no answer. There's no one answer for that yeah. question. And also, I suggest you have a church family. Yeah. You have a strong and we are working here. on grief on, on on putting in place a grief ministry to to where if you are walking through something as far as grief losing a loved one or someone close because because grief isn't just people grief can be a lot of things if you've lost some something you might have to grieve it and that could be a dream a business purpose you know there's a lot of things that we lose and it's not just and it's not just people you know and um so you know, just let you guys know that, you know, that is something Carrie is, uh, is diligently working on. Thankfully, thankfully, we have people within our church who feel a calling to help people in, 
in their grief. One for sure I know is Bravanda. Are are you here, Bravanda? Is she here? No. Where's she at? Raise your hand, Bravanda. She feels a specific calling to love people and help people walk through grief. So so just let you know if this is you here, we we're we're diligently working and reach out to us because we, because we do want to help. I wanted to add to be patient with yourself. Mm. Um, grieving is a process, and it's not a timing thing. <clears throat> we all going to go through it differently, mm. and don't let anybody rush you through your grieving process. So um, just be, be patient with yourself. Yeah, yeah I want really to add to I'm sorry. I want to add to that because people think that you're supposed to go through the five or six steps of grieving, and you're okay. Um, I actually run two grief groups, um, and I've had someone in that group, grief group for three years. Mm. It doesn't mean that they have a problem. It means that they're still trying to deal with the loss. Yeah. And what I explain to them, you will always deal with the loss. My job is just to help you better manage it. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you'll you'll be at a stoplight, and I say you lost a child, and you see mm. a sign for sign up for basketball or sign up for football. So that good. right there is going to make you think, God, my son is gone, and I could have participated in that. Yeah. And so you're grieving because of the loss. So grief never ends. It's just how can you manage it? That's so good. I was just going to echo all of that and just say don't be afraid to keep talking about it. You know, I think mm. sometimes um, I've heard people say, you know, oh, I, I don't want to keep talking about it, or I'm talking about it too much, or it's been a year, it's been two years, but – that's okay. Um, like like all of them have said, it takes um, different time for different people. It may come back up in four or five years. You might find that you're okay, and then something else triggers you, and you start to think about that person again, and all of that is okay. Mm. Let me ask this. Somebody texted in, and I'm not going to add to the question. They said, how do I let my emotional wall down? Okay, and really, I you know, I would like for this question, and I'm and I'm not going to tight cast here, but I kind of am, especially to men who think therapy is for people that are weak, or men who think therapy is a bunch of garbage. Um, you know, that could just possibly think sitting down and talking with somebody is yeah, that's really going to make me feel better. You know, is this stupid? My wife needs it, but I don't. You know, like, you know, just just typical things that guys can kind of think and possibly say stuff that I've said and thought. Um, until I was at a point where I really needed therapy, I really needed someone to talk to and kind of help me process things. And I just think, you know, um, there's kind of this stigma around men receiving ther therapy and all, you know, and feeling like that's a really big weakness where if they do that, um, it would be considered weak or maybe they were, they subconsciously picked up that it is a form of weakness. So what would you guys say to someone that is struggling to let their emotional wall down um, but kind of especially to guys who think that, that, you know, that therapy or talking to someone is just a bunch of crap. So a uh, couple of couple of answers. OK, <laughs> sir. Well, first, we got to We have to say this. OK. And this is what I often tell clients that what you want from someone, be that yourself, because mm. you want people to be vulnerable with you, your, your spouses, your friends, people you're close to. So you got to know that you need to be that yourself, right? Mm. And being vulnerable just has to do with 
trusting enough that you can give the depth of your soul to someone and knowing that what they aren't going to do is harm you emotionally. And it is difficult. Be honest, it is. You have to because you have to trust that that's going to happen. And in that general sense with men, and I know personally with African American men, really struggle thinking it's weak. But here's what you have to ask yourself. I got analogies for everything. For as men who work Come out, on, right? If you're in the gym, you're on the bench, you're trying to bench 350, right? You get it up. And we on know your chest, you do. No, I don't. We know you but, do. But what you're going to do is ask for some help, right? That don't make you weak. That makes you smart. Because if you don't ask for Come help, on. what's going to happen? Nothing good, right? Choke. You're gonna get so you got to be able to know the difference between what's weak and really what's strength. Strength of character says, I know I don't know everything. Someone else can help me through this thing. That's so good, Charles. Yeah, really good. Yeah, man. Let's go ahead and clap it up for that. That was really, really good. Appreciate that. I hope you heard that, man. Um, whenever I hear things like this, my therapist's mind is like, what's the function? Right? So <laughs> if we were knocking down a wall in a house, because I also like pictures, we wouldn't knock it down before we knew what it was connected to, because we don't want to make a mess, right? Mm. Where did that wall come from? Mm. Right? Who said something that made you think, mm. right? Where did you hear a message that it was not okay, right? Before we even tear it down. Because if we tear it down, something else is going to get disrupted. Mm. So if we really look at where did that come from? Where did you learn that? And what might be a more helpful way to look at this? Then we can start to slowly knock that wall down. And another thing that we need to know is that when we wall ourselves up like that, we wall ourselves from everything. Nothing can come in. So you're mm. not happy. You're not joyful. You're not experiencing positive emotions because you're numb. That's you're so stuffing good. it down. Right? And so if we want to experience the joy, we also have to experience some hurt. And we do. Mm. And that's all a part of the human experience. Um, Real, real quick with that, nothing can get in and nothing can get out. So you got to know that too. When you have a wall up, you also can't give yourself fully. That's so good. So good, yeah. Go for it, okay. I'm trying not to butcher that. I don't know the exact scripture, but it <laughs> makes me think of, um, I think it Maybe was David okay. talking about his um, heart of heart of stone. Yeah. Um, uh, Maybe. I'm, I'm not oh. sure. <laughs> I'm not a perfect pastor either. Well, I think that's in one of the Old Testament books. I think it's in Psalms, or it's a prayer, basically. Flesh, um, yeah. Something of that nature. I'll look it up. But um, also just being willing, you know, with the practical, but also being willing to maybe ask God, too, like, Lord, this is a hard area for me. Like, help me to have that's an really open good. heart to um, be vulnerable or to be able to engage fully in therapy or whatever it may be, while also doing the work um, to explore those patterns or where it came from. And so just wanted to add. It's really good. So, did you want to answer? Yeah. Okay. Um, we talk about um, therapy with men. Um, it is very difficult because we were taught to be a certain way. And that's not exposing our feelings. But once you get into therapy, um, especially someone who understands that, um, for me, it's about building the relationship. Because if I'm doing therapy the first two or three sessions, they're going to like, I, I'm not rocking with this. <laughs> but if I'm like, tell me about your life and how did you get here and why does that make you so upset? But also being a guy and saying, I get it, I've dealt with that. But we all deal differently in our homes or we deal differently with people. 
understanding that person and say, well, what has worked for you in the past? What hasn't worked? And that's what we have to do is build a relationship so that other men can feel comfortable. Love that. Quick addition is baby steps. Um, I felt steps when they were talking like, um, the wall is high. The wall's been there for I don't know how long. Don't expect the wall. Companions, to, you know, to, don't expect the wall to come down overnight. That's Baby really steps. Um, I, I was, I, I married someone with the wall, so I know how that looks. Him. Um, so, so they're married. <laughs> just to let you guys know. Hey, y'all, it takes they're time married. for that wall to come down. Okay, so don't, don't hurry the process, but just. Um, allow yourself to do a step, a, a something so that, good. and then work. And it's, it, before you know it, others are going to see it probably before you do. That wall is going to be halfway down and then, then coming. Okay. okay, so somebody asked, how do you know when you need to get counseling? I feel as though my problems might not be big, might not be big enough. Now, let me, I want to speak to that some too, okay? Because I think... Many times, and I'm not a therapist, so just putting that out there. But I do believe many times we only seek help when we absolutely need it. So we are very reactive instead of proactive. Okay? To where, well, when I need help, then I'll get help. You don't, I mean, some, like some of you do it with your car, and that's why your cars break down. is because you, you don't proactively change your oil, or you don't proactively change your tires, or you don't proactively do what? Preventative maintenance right? And your, your, your body, your soul, your spirit is like a big engine. It's like a big car. And you've got a lot of different moving parts that, that need maintenance. And so if, if you only do reactive maintenance, then you'll probably see some breakdowns, right? Or you'll be, you know, you'll be that guy that your car's broken down, but you're driving around with it. So I'm good. I'm good. My car's good. And it's like, you got two flat tires, brother. You know, like, like, but, but, but what I would encourage you to do is instead of being, re- being reactive, be proactive, right? And, and, you know, it's like I just sincerely believe everybody has things in their heart, mind, soul, and spirit that they need somebody outside of them to help them detangle. Because we're all a project, we're all a byproduct of this broken world. So no matter how good you are, no matter how low your problems seem to be, you're one text message away from having a big problem. You're living the American dream. Beautiful wife, three kids, dog. You got a labradoodle. You got a white fence. Beautiful house, great cars. You're one text message away from being in a not good point. So, I I mean, I'm just saying I would encourage people to be proactive and just not reactive when it comes to their heart, mind, soul, and spirit, especially when it comes to learning how to articulate what you're feeling on the inside. Real quick. Um, Help me. I, I don't even know how I can follow that because that is perfect. Oh, well, like, well, I appreciate that. It's <laughs> perfect. Um, because you have, you know, like you said, people come when they have a problem. You should be taking care of your body and your mental state all the time. Um, for me, I don't actually have a formal therapist, um, but when I know I'm at that point, I'll come out of my office and walk down the hall and close the door and say, this is what's going on with me. Or this is, this is the situation and this is how it's making me feel. And this is how I want to respond. Help me. And we mm-hmm. process it. 
And I think we all at times have someone who's our therapist where we sit and talk mm. and we don't wait till it's a big That's problem. So it, like he said, it's That's like so your good. car. Every, you know, 7,000 miles, you need to get an oil change. Well, every month or so, I'm talking to somebody to help me mentally That's so stay good. where I am. Yeah, I'm, so good. So I was going to pretty much say what they said, but let me just say this also. Um, we all Give probably, us an example, bro. I, <laughs> we've we all probably dealt with clients who we have said to them, you know, this is going to take some time. You've been doing A, B, or C for many years. Every now and then, somebody comes in with a little problem. Then something just happened last week. We're like, yeah, this is going to be like easier because it is good that you don't wait. It can be the smallest little tiff issue, situation. That's when you seek help. So what we don't have to say to you, five years later, you should have come in five years ago. So mm. like that. It's really good. Anyone else, Brittany, did you want to say something? Um, I was just going to add, don't minimize your problems. Yeah. Come on, um, Brittany. I, I mean, I do it too, but I think, you know, it is easy to say, oh, their problem is bigger or they dealt with this and so you know, I only dealt with a breakup or whatever, you know, but don't put it on this scale of what's more important or less important to seek help. You can seek help with anything. So really, really good. Anyone else? OK, so we're going to do two more questions um, and then we have to pack up. Like I said, though, we're going to get to each question at some point this week, one one of these, and I realized I did not give you guys the opportunity to actually introduce yourselves. So I apologize for that. Um, I promise they're actual therapists. These aren't just random people we have up here. So a question we have, finding a therapist. Some people have texted and saying, I don't have insurance. You know, is there resources out there for me where if I don't have, you know, if I can't pay, pay for it, if I don't have insurance, but also a couple of people have texted in, um, about how should, like, finding a therapist, right? Someone says, how does race, race, age, or gender play a role in deciding who to see as a therapist? Should it, should it be considered? Um, so, so kind of, like, maybe some tips on finding a therapist um, in regards to kind of the whole race, age, gender thing, but also, too, when it comes to, like, the resources out there for those that might not have that might not have insurance or might not just have a cash flow to kind of just do, you know, do something like this. So, you want to okay. so it, you have to be comfortable with a person that's sitting across from you. Your comfort is going to come first. So mm. if race, age, ethnicity, um, specialty, whatever is important to you, um, then make it important in your search. And you can put it in things like psychology today for those um, specific criteria. Um, and that, that's entirely up to you. The therapist is not gonna know, unless you tell them, I only wanted you know, a single mom as a therapist because I'm dealing with single mom problems. It's, it's hmm. you're not gonna find that on, on psychology today. <laughs> that kind of business isn't out there. But, and it's okay to call in and ask receptionist because that's who you're usually going to get like I saw this person online this is what I'm thinking you know um, this is my preference that's perfectly okay that that's your comfort level the therapists are not going to be offended in any way shape or form um, and most of the time they're not even going to know 
So, um, and then as far as resources, um, most agencies have a sliding scale, so they're going to allow you to pay what you're able to pay, and sometimes, depending on income and expenses, that might be zero. Um, so look for agencies that provide pro bono work or a sliding scale. The local CSB works with youth and adults. Um, they definitely have a sliding scale. DSS can connect you with resources, um, people in the area that can um, provide services. But there's, I mean, just driving down the road, there's a ton of agencies that already are a community agency, so they're already um, offering the services at a discounted or free, um, as a free service to the community. Awesome. Anyone else? Brittany. Um, I was just going to touch again on the um, just race, ethnicity um, piece, also um, gender even. But one thing um, I just encourage is, you know, be open because sometimes I, you know, I have students, I work in a predominantly white setting. But when I do have a student who is African-American and they see me, they're like, oh, I want that therapist. But I have, I'm intentional with the conversation of just because we share the same skin color does not mean I'm the best fit or best therapist for you. And so um, I love working with everyone, but I also do have that conversation of, you know, we all have different experiences. So you might have a preference for a male therapist because you're a male and that's okay. You might have a, you might be a male and want a female, or vice versa. You know, just allowing yourself to be open to that. It's okay to have preferences, but um, I I think all of us would agree that we don't you know turn away um, a person just because they're not black or they're not white or they're not male or they're not female. So. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna actually end on this question. It's a pretty heavy one. Um, so I'm 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 just gonna ask two of you um, who feel comfortable answering this. Somebody just just texted in, what should I do if a friend shares with me suicidal thoughts? So there's a new um, mental health hotline that came out and many people do not know about it. So I want to, to share it. The therapists up here know about it, but it's 988 and it's a crisis hotline. 988. 988. It's a crisis hotline. If someone has shared with you that they have any, even a fleeting thought, no matter how small it may seem, please call. Please call. You can call the local hospital. You can call the CSB. There's emergency services personnel, even for children, um, that can respond out. At, the last thing we want to do is, you know, have to get the police involved. Um, but if you feel like that person is serious, Having, having the police take them into the hospital is a lot less severe than sitting back and allowing them to, to act on their thoughts. Yeah. So. It's, it's really good. Um, one thing to note is that suicidal ideations is very common in depression and anxiety. So I just want to normalize that a little bit so that we don't freak out. Um, yes, we want to call the crisis line, but as we're waiting for the crisis line, as we're maybe waiting for emergency services, do you have a plan? What is that plan? And that's a very scary question to ask because mm. 
it, it sends us in. I know when I hear a client suicide, I'm like, oh, all right, here we go, right? Because it's very heavy. It's very heavy to sit with, um, but asking them, do you have a plan? And depending on what that plan is, we want to secure the area. So if it's a firearm, if it's knives, um, ropes, anything like that, we want to like make sure that area is clear. Um, and so that's important. And then do you have intent to do anything? Are you gonna do something today? Right, so we want to ask these questions. And it, again, I wanna normalize that it feels very uncomfortable to ask. But if you're asking someone if they have a plan, you're not planting suicidal plans in their mind. Because right. we think that like, when we ask about a plan, we're going to make them do it. Absolutely not. If they've been thinking about it, it's already there. Right? That's so good. And you asking about it is not going to plant that in their mind. But it's very important that we make the environment as safe as possible for them. That's so good. Valdemir, then we got to close out. Anything related to suicide, um, just like you take it serious, we take it serious. And we're all trained that there's a certain protocol that we go through because we don't want someone to leave our office and you shouldn't want someone to leave your presence and then mm. they end up hurting themselves. Yeah. So always call someone, get someone out there to assess, and then we can go from there. Okay. Lifehouse family, can we just right now give it up for, for our panel? Y'all can have a seat. They, they have just, just been absolutely awesome, really, really gifted, really, really talented, and we're blessed at Lifehouse to have... Like I said, people that love Jesus, love love you, love others, and want to see people become healthy, holistic followers of Jesus. And I just want to say thank you for being a church willing to talk about this. Because here's the thing, right? I don't want us to be, oh, yeah, Lifehouse, they're that therapist church. They're that, they're that mental health church, right? Here's, here's the thing. And, and, and actually, I want us to be like, we believe in the power of God. He can heal in a moment. There's power in the name of Jesus. We're going to teach that, believe that, preach that, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to say, also, he's the God that will walk with you through your pain. If he won't put you around it, he'll walk with you through it. And we want to be a church that does both and the practical and the spiritual. Amen? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.